Hello, everyone. My name is Chad Hawley, the founder of the Nexus Mountain Network. Today's guest is Chad Dedman. I had the opportunity to recently meet Chad where Revival was breaking out in Charlotte. He is one of those guys that everybody loves. And because of the love of God that's in him, it is contagious. And he's going to share today about some wild stories and testimonies and how we got to that level and hopefully inspire you and cause change for you to become closer to God. If you want to know more about the Nexus Mountain Network, you can download the app on the Apple Store and Google Play, and you can connect with other Christians as we achieve God's purposes in society. Enjoy the show. Yes, I am thrilled today to have another Chad with me, Chad Dedman. I'm the other Chad. And uh Chad Dedman has the founder, him and his wife, of Encountering Jesus Ministries. He also is known for his pastoral role at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. I'm elated to have him here today because he carries a, I personally experienced this, a, an anointing for his, what is the title of his ministry? Helping people encounter Jesus. And it's real. It's not a fake thing that's made up. And he lives his life this way. He has a couple powerful stories that I'm going to try to pull out of him so that you can relate to him. Chad, welcome to the show. Oh, so good to have, uh, so good to be here and to, you know, be Chad squared. You don't meet that many Chads. And uh, so we're going to have a blast. And, you know, we started Encountering Jesus in 2008, you know, but a big thing is you kind of like cut me in half, you receive Bill Johnson and Heidi Baker mm-hmm. and for missions. We've been to Mozambique so many times, but to watch, like we were just talking about, like seeing how beautiful, like, you know, people being set free where Heidi will be around people that are demonized and she'll just hug them and they get set free, which is beautiful to watch. And, um, but yeah, that's what we've been, we've been running with that crew, Iris and Bethel and, uh, encountering Jesus. It's been a, that's what it's been all about ever since I was a little kid growing up, you know, on the beaches of Southern California and hearing God's voice, uh, as a five-year-old, uh, in Newport beach. And that just friendship with God, that's what it's all about is intimacy and friendship and learning to abide. So let's go. All right. So let's get, let's get right to something because you talked about since you were younger and you, I heard you share this wild story that I want people to hear about you just took off. I don't even remember the nation that you went to, but I remember there was a story pertaining to a witch doctor. Uh, yeah. Can you share this story? Because this is really powerful. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I never really was trained in personal ministry, didn't have a lot of experience. I was 19 years old. It was right after uh, I was living in actually Detroit, Michigan, when 9-11 happened hmm. in 2001. And I actually went to New York uh, the day after 9-11. And, you know, the Lord told me uh, months afterwards that uh, that he was calling me to Muslim nations. And that then he through reading the book of martyrs. And Jesus freaks, uh, seeing Indonesia as being a hotspot of persecution, uh, the Lord said, that's where I want you to go. And um, so I didn't have any ministry connections. Um, I, I, you know, had never graduated school ministry at this point. And, uh, and the Lord said, never stay in a hotel room. So I stayed with Muslims and, uh, and I stayed with a few Christians, but it was powerful. And yeah, there was witch doctors. There was, uh, I mean, we had uh, several houses that I stayed at at Muslim houses. Jesus would show up in the middle of the night, knock on the door in the natural and the uh, Muslim dad, father would w- uh, wake up, open the door. Jesus would come in and, oh. and I would wake up in the morning and they'd be like beaming with light. And they'd be like, your friend, Jesus came. And I'm like, well, what did he say? And I'll be like, Oh, that's Romans eight fifteen. That's, you know, Ephesians one twenty six. That's wow. so yeah, pretty special kind of just learning, uh, you know, just, just having the Holy spirit be my teacher and guiding me in a third world country. That was pretty crazy and dangerous. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was, uh, I learned about spiritual warfare, the whole wish doctor deals. I, I just, I went for on a three day boat ride and got off the boat and I thought I was sick from the boat ride and I had a fever, slept for 16 hours, woke up, fell asleep an hour later, slept for another 16 hours. And then the pastor took me to the hospital. They drew my blood. I had 104, 104.8 temperature, um, they took my blood. I had, did not have malaria, did not have typhoid, did not have dengue fever. They couldn't figure it out. I went up to 105.5, 105.5. 
106, you become brain dead. And, you know, this is a pretty crazy hospital. We're in North Sulawesi, which is in, you know, Indonesia's got 15,000 islands. But I mean, like, this isn't, you know, you know, American medicine or hospital or sterile, you know, very sterile or blood on the ceiling. Uh, there was like a tooth, you know, next to me from an earlier surgery that that happened. And so, you know, it was pretty crazy. And then I remember the nurses crying that, that they were thinking I was going to die. And Reese actually came into my last rites. And when I was at 105.5, um, there was a knock at the pastor's door. The pastor's wife opens the door. There's these two ladies and they say, is the white man dead yet? And she said, well, he's at the hospital. He's about ready to die. And they said, good. We've been cursing him as a whole coven to die. And wow. her husband, pastor comes running, broken English and said, the witches have been praying. And all I could get out was pray the blood of Jesus. But while this is happening, I see two angels show up like these beings of light. And they tell me it's my time that I've, you know, I've, I've done everything that I need to do to uh, step into the fullness of my destiny. And it's time for me to come home to be with the father. So basically they're getting me to agree with the spirit of death. And then the pastor comes around and goes, the witches have been praying, you know, and I'm like, pray the blood. That's all I can get out. He prays the blood of Jesus over me, the authority that comes from Jesus died on the cross. And within 30 minutes, I was 98.7, totally fine, fever wow. gone, the whole spiritual deal broken. So at 19, I learned about spiritual warfare and that was, that was a lot of fun, but I really discovered God uh, as the healer as well. That's where I did my first healing services ever. First healing service, I did the jungles of Kalimantan. No one got healed. Zero people got healed. And I was like, you know, walking through the jungles of Indonesia going, God, I guess I don't have the healing gift. And then the pastor grabs me in the jungle and says, will you please do another healing service? And it was a Saturday night and I'm speaking every Sunday morning. And God says, will you trust me? And I'm like, I don't want to do this again. Like zero people got healed, you know? And and, and so I just didn't know about my place of co-laboring with the father and the whole deal. And, uh, and so the Lord's like, you need to trust me. I want you to wash the feet of everyone tonight with your nicest clothes, which I'm there Sunday morning. And it's part of the culture in Indonesia. You wear your Sunday best. So I had one outfit for Sunday morning and the rest was for like the jungles and hiking and a t-shirt, you know, shorts. And I'm like, God, like you understand the culture. He goes, no, you need to trust me. So I start by washing the feet of this woman who had rheumatoid arthritis for over 20 years. She had her own makeshift caught. And you, I'm, as I'm washing her feet, you hear people starting to cry and worship Jesus. And then you hear the bones cracking back into place. She wow. gets up, she walks, she begins to run out of the church and she's running around the building screaming, Jesus healed me. And then I continue to pray and wash the feet of the others. And then they start getting healed. And I'm washing the feet of this lady. And who's like the first, fifth person that I, I prayed for and washed the feet. This, her, she had a son who was three years old on her lap. And he jumps up and starts running around screaming. And everyone just starts worshiping Jesus. I'm like, what happened? He goes, well, that was her son who's deaf and mute. And obviously his ears opened up because his tongue got loosened and he was screaming like, you know, this is the first time. So uh, second prayer meeting for healing, everyone got healed. So it was just a crazy deal of like zero people getting healed and then getting healed. And so it was such a cool school of the spirit, Indonesia. But that was back in 2002, which wow. is so cool. So, wow. yeah, that's really probably I love in a way. I like that you have the story that it didn't work the first time. Oh because, yeah, me too. because if you didn't, how much more powerful would the story be? Because so many people might try something and go, "Oh, that didn't work," and they, and they stop and back away. Yeah, they got to redefine success from heaven's perspective. That mm -hmm. we invited to take a walk with Jesus and step out of the boat. You know, you learn about the nature of God where the other eleven disciples didn't learn that lesson of keep your eyes on Jesus. That all of heaven was celebrating Peter when he took that step of faith and risk. That when he took his eyes off of Jesus and fell in the water, I think all ahead was still celebrating Peter, saying that's what success looks like. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. And so I, I think it's so vital for us, you know, in the church to redefine what is success. And it's taking risk. Yeah, it is. And um, by the way, fun fact. So I also was in Detroit, Michigan at 9-11. I'm from Michigan. And I was actually in Dearborn, Michigan when it happened, which is the number one capital for uh, Muslims in the United States. A little fun fact. Bro, that's amazing. So, yeah, yeah I 
is in uh, Waterford, Michigan, uh, outside of like Pontiac. Um, but I live I remember, in Waterford. I remember when 9-11 happened. And um, first of all, I was watching, I think, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, which was interesting. And, you know, eating cereal or something like that. And you know, I was 19. Yeah, I was 19. And so, or, no, no, I was 18. And I turned 19, you know, a couple months later. But anyways, I went to a gas station and two guys were beating up a Muslim gas attendant. And I pulled him off and he could see him crying. I'm like, bro, this is not your fault. This is not your fault. This is not your fault. And he just was breaking down crying. Bro, it was a crazy time. I mean, Michigan, that is one of the bigger, uh, you know, um, Muslim populations. And uh, bro, yeah. So when I, was ni- when I was 18, when I was 18 years old, I lived in Waterford, Michigan, and I was a gas attendant. <laughs> I'm not kidding. No way. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Now, I'm older than you. But uh, so I was when 9-11 happened, I was older. But when I was 18, I, I was a gas attendant. Yes, true story. Uh, I, was, I was kicked out of my house when I was 17. I was kind of homeless. So I had to live with my brother who lived in uh, Waterford. But Waterford. Um, wow. so, um, okay. The one thing I, I just have to get to is today, and I, this is what I want people to receive, is because you have endless amount of stories like this and they're so inspiring. I'm glad you walked through one of those. But what you have, Chad, um, very few have. And you have this, you know, when I first met you personally, it was like a, a revival brewing in Charlotte at the gate. And we had this thing happen with the presence of the Lord hit and I, you know, I got hit. That's not the point. My point is, is you carry like a personal daily revival walk with God. And it's one yeah. thing to walk into a church where there's, you get touched by the Lord, but it's a yeah. whole nother thing to say, because of this, I'm going to live like this every day. Yeah. So talk to us how you got there. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a big deal is just understanding at the get go about just my friendship with God started very young in the areas of, mm-hmm. you know, five years old is like some of very resonating moments and, and times with connection with God. But also it wasn't through the four walls of the church all the time. Like the four walls of the church was one vehicle, but it wasn't a dominant vehicle. Maybe more of a dominant vehicle is the nature, to be honest for mm-hmm. me. And, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, you know, and it's intriguing. Like when I was 17, I, I wasn't in the best place, you know, like, I, um, I mean, you know, a little bit of my story is, you know, I kind of went into rebellion very young and I'm like a freedom person, you know, that, that I, I really understand freedom when I'm healthy, I'm free when I'm unhealthy, I'm rebellious, you know? And so, so I remember just really being mad at God in, when I was about 12 years old, where I was like, man, I was born into this, like, you know, like my parents are pastors, you know? And so I started becoming, you know, started doing drugs. And then I started selling drugs at 13. I remember seeing, I remember doing drugs and seeing Jesus, you know, sitting down in the corner and he'd be crying and I'd be like, you know what, like, I know, like, that I'm, that's hurting you in our relationship, but I'm just in this rebellion place. And then when I was 14, Jesus came into my bedroom and said, uh, either you're going to be my best friend, or I'm going to hand you over to Satan. And I knew that there was a hedge of protection of my life that that uh, but that hedge of protection would be lifted that this was a line in the sand moment with me and Jesus, but he wasn't calling me into service or into ministry. He was saying, you're either going to be my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I have, you know, memorial right. stones, marking moments that put me on a trajectory of cultivating friendship with God, but you have to have your first moments. And, and I think too, it's about stewarding that and, and cultivating that and not letting your, that relationship become, you know, stale, you know, apathetic, uh, compromising saying, okay, I'm good right where I'm at, but it can actually grow and actually, you know, have new dynamics and, and deals with it. And, you know, I remember 18 where I dated Jesus for the year and I actually dated Jesus. Like I would go to the church and open the door for Jesus. I would make reservations at restaurants for two. And, you know, sometimes Jesus wouldn't finish his meal. And so I would eat it for him. And I would think God I was 18, but I mean, like it was a place of intentionality. It was a place of expectation. Um, but then also I was, you know, I'm always looking for, 
God just, I don't want to get to heaven and be with the father and go, dang, Chad, I wanted to connect with you this way. And I restricted an opportunity for me connecting with the father. And so being in this place of leaning in, that's why I took a bus from LA to Pensacola, Florida when I was 18 years old, because I was hungry for for more of God. And it was there that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it's crazy that it was in a Red Jeep Cherokee on the way to Walmart with two Swiss and a German. Like it wasn't in a revival service, you know, like I was in an immense prayer meeting. That's where I got slain in the spirit for the first time. And, you know, and I shared a little bit of this journey at the gate as far as uh, my rites of passage. And, you know, I was there for a year and a half of contending and I didn't go down and I, you know, didn't get slain in the spirit. And, you know, so I know what it feels like to fight off, you know, disillusionment or, 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 or trying to change theology to fit, fit your circumstances and just being like, no, I'm pressing in. And I think, you know, when you get breakthrough, it, it invites you into a lifestyle. When you break through in something spiritually with God, you you get invited to cultivate a lifestyle with him. Yeah. And that has been something that's been going on for almost 40 years now in my life. And um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the big deal. And then being a part of Brownsville, you know, and it's and when it was going crazy. So to be someone that was able to be in that atmosphere. And that's the deal where you do have personal and you have this vertical, but there's something about being with a group of people. And, you know, I can move in my gifting, I can move in my identity and my sonship and my authority. And, and, uh, but there's something about when I get around a community that's full of hunger and coming into agreement that, that actually pulls on the anointing out of me, something that I could not do on my own. And that is one of the, mm-hmm. that is one of the places for me as a revivalist, like, man, yes, I'm cultivating this personal connection with God that is revival. That means crazy stuff happens constantly, supernatural activity. It's amazing. But then there's something about that corporate and, yeah. you know, it, 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 what it does to you personally. And that's the bigger thing is this in this whole gambit of how do I cultivate the softest heart possible? Because the degree of softness of heart will be the degree that you see God. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at every opportunity, but there's something about corporate revival where there is a community, there is something going on geographically where it marks you and softens your heart. And so, you know, when that started happening at the gate and I could feel uh, those invitations, I was like, oh, wow, this is not just for the gate, not just for Charlotte, not just for North Carolina. It's like for me, a Californian, like for my heart to get wrecked, you know, for for me to receive that. uh, Maybe I've, you know, I've been a part of moves of God, but, you know, and again, I was in the book of Isaiah in in December, January, and it kept on hitting, behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. You know, in so many chapters, behold, I do a new thing that, that I believe, you know, in this time, God is marking a generation, but also healing the generations. And so, yeah, I will... That's, that's exciting. This is great. This is exactly where I wanted to go because you brought up a concept and it, it's your own acronym, HTR. And I remembered you saying it, hard to receiver. And yep. I, for 47 years, as much as I loved God, I was put together. I wasn't going down. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a hard receiver, but I certainly wasn't letting go. Yeah. And so I actually said something at the gate. I said, I'm now an ETR, which is a, which was my way of saying it, easy to receiver. But here's the thing that I want you to see if you can help unpack because men don't say things like you just said. Men don't say, I dated Jesus. I opened the door for Jesus. Women just, they they just step in so easily. They're more likely to be the ETR versus an HDR. And I just feel like you have this anointing to be a man. You have this incredible balance that says, I can do this, but there's so many men that are just, and they're not, they're not allowing the Lord to do it. So can you just yeah. talk a little bit to, to some, of the, some of the men that are watching that says, yeah. deep down, they want it, but yeah. how do they break through? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it just uh, like we talked about is easy to receive and letting go and that ability of really letting go control us men in our culture, various ways is reinforcing us as the protector, the one in control, the one with resolve, the one that is, you know, evenly killed. And 
So that's put in, you know, into us. And it's so important for us to break the fear of man. It's really a dimension mm. uh, of the fear of man that's trying to take root in our lives. And mm. that we, we, we need to be vulnerable before the Lord. David was a warrior, but he was vulnerable before the Lord. You have all these guys that that wrestled mm. with God, that that really, mm. you know, Moses and Aaron, all these guys that sought the Lord and they were vulnerable in that place. And they were desperate. And so, you know, you, you have to you, you have to put your hunger on display. But not just that, there's something about the breaking of the fear of man that, you know, it's it's there's a number of different things. But fear, it's, it paralyzes you. It keeps you from stepping into your destiny. And so when you have moments where you can feel like you could let go, there's an invitation. But then that fear of man sets in. And I think from an early age, God was able to invite me into places of stripping that. And, you know, I remember, again, at 17, walking my high school late at night at 8 o'clock at night. No one should be there. I've done it many times. I've got my Walkman. This is like 1998. And I've got Matt Redman, the heart of worship going on my CD, you know, Walkman. And I remember one time that I was in the quad in the middle of our high school and I'm on my knees and I was just in this beautiful worship service that I thought I was all alone. And, but I, I, I just totally let go. And I, I mean, you have to have, there's different things that soften your heart, but like, have you cried lately? Meaning in the presence of God, not because you're sad, because you're so grateful. You're just so grateful. You're, you're in awe of like, you are in the presence of the King of glory. Like here I am. And you're just letting your love, you're loving on the King of glory where you are crying. And one of the levels that you're breaking the fear of man and you're not caring is when the snot goes past your mouth. There's probably a good like 20 times it's happened in my life at 41. So I'm not saying this is weekly or monthly, but there are moments where God has wrecked me for a people group and I'm in meeting visions and I'm just snot is everywhere. And I don't care where the snot is. I am in this moment and I'm not going to pause to wipe the snot away. I'm going to dive deeper in. And I think that's so important. But anyways, going back to this deal of I'm just, you know, it's all about you, God, in the heart of worship and singing this Matt Redden song. I get a tap on my shoulder. And again, I'm in one of these moments, snot is past my mouth. And I look up and I'm thinking it's a, like a maintenance guy, like a, you know, a groundskeeper or, or, you know, one of our custodian workers, you know, someone middle-aged and they're like, oh, wow, this high school kid is having a breakdown right now. But I look up and it's the head cheerleader and I am on the basketball team. I'm on the surf team. Like these cheerleaders know where I live. They bake cookies for me. They, they decorate my garage door. And here I am like, you know, a, a junior, you know, in high school and I'm cheerleader over me. And, and, and I look behind her and the whole cheerleader squad is watching me on my knees with snot and screaming, I love you, Jesus, you know? Wow. And so first thought I had was, oh no, what are they going to say about me tomorrow at high school? And then this overwhelming second thought begins to invade. I don't care what mm -hmm. they say about me. All I care about is I love Jesus. Yeah. And I think there's got to be moments like I'm at an air, I'm at an airport. Like, you know, sometimes I'll be around and I'll be just be feel like the fear of man. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this isn't for other people to get saved. It's for me breaking the fear of man where I'll just scream, I love you, Jesus. And actually that happened to me going to the gate or leaving the gate in Charlotte where I had an encounter with the Lord in the airport. But I think it was another invitation of me personally of what God was doing the spirit of what God was doing in Charlotte and the gate and, you know, this whole deal, I had my personal invitation and it came at the airport. It doesn't always come in the meeting. It came on me in the airport and I had to lean in. I had to start thinking that maybe I need to practically like get, you know, them to bring a wheelchair for me because I was getting electrocuted. I was screaming <laughs> to people like, this is a good thing. This is an encounter with God. Like people were like totally watching me, but it was breaking of this fear of man. And I'm not saying you need to have this done at the airport. We're all at different places, but learn to lean in when God invites you yeah. to go deeper with him. And if you feel a fear of man thing, then take courage that that's an invitation that the Holy Spirit wants to do something beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, just look for those opportunities because they're knocking at your door. I promise. I assure you. Yeah. Uh, that's really good. And I I'm, I'm relating to some of the stuff you're saying for sure. And you said you were half Heidi Baker and you're half Bill Johnson. Let's talk about Heidi Baker for a second, because sh she will come in to speak and she'll just look, go on the floor and cry and weep. And I've seen that multiple times myself and going, I wish I could do that. 
And now I can, but for times I couldn't, and I would just watch and wish. So tell me about the role she's played in your life. Yeah. I mean, first of all, some Heidi stories, uh, you never really like her best messages are always off the stage, Mm. you know, her life is, is, is pretty ridiculous. I mean, I could, uh, you know, she, she's just somebody that has such an amazing vertical connection with the father and then who's that in her horizontal ministry relationships and, you know, no fear, someone who is someone who takes courage. And that's something that obviously I draw towards, you know, and that's something that is something that I've been able to cultivate. And so, you know, she's been able to minister the gospel to people who at night point at gunpoint. So, you know, I love running with people that have been in prison for the gospel for that's paid a price for the gospel and they're not miserable, but they're full of life, abundant life. You know, that, that it's like, I remember being with pastor Sapreza, who's one of the missionaries for Iris and one of the leaders and one of the fathers. And we were in South Africa and he had, he, his car broke down and started smoking. And he's like, Chad, this is a good time to take a drink with Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, it's not my <laughs> Okay, you know, like, and then we get out and then it sets on fire and it totally like disintegrates. And he goes, well, I think we're going to take another drink with Jesus. And I'm like, well, it's not my car. And I'm like, man, that is so crazy. They really are living in James, you know, that you actually find all joy, you know, in the trial persecution and the warfare that you count it all joy and it produces perseverance. And that's Heidi Baker. She is so perseverant, like she, but she loves so well. And I'll give you one example of just running with her and First of all, she has a different authority in the States that she does in Africa. And to watch her in Africa is pretty special. But then also to watch her in the States is pretty special. And uh, and so I, I put on a conference back in 2010 where I had Heidi come speak. I remember it raining uh, pretty hard. And there um, she called out witches. She's like, there's witches here. We need to pray for you. And this guy comes running up that's like 300 pounds. And he's like, I'm going to, you know, using a lot of explicative words uh, and, and I'm going to kill you and all this stuff. And I'm on the stage ready and um and he she, heidi goes she's on her knees and she goes no one pay attention to this man just worship jesus and she just points us all towards jesus while the enemy is trying to like you know intimidate her and yeah. he's a big guy and then um he charges her and i go running and then the pastor who's like five foot five but like uh you know did training in like ufc he shoots for his legs my other friend puts him in a headlock and and we tackle the guy and he's like fully demonic like pulled one of the guys off and threw him and Heidi goes, stop. All he needs is a hug. And she just hugs him and he gets totally set free, totally hugs him. And, um, gathering her stuff, like powerful night, she's praying for people for hours. And I grab her shoes or Bible. And this guy goes, Oh no, no, no. Those are my shoes. Heidi gave me those shoes. And I'm like, Heidi gave you her shoes. It's raining outside. Like, why would Heidi give you? Oh yeah. I had a vision that, she, that my daughter was going to walk in her shoes. And I told her the vision and, and she gave me her shoes. And I'm like, okay. So I'm walking Heidi to the bathrooms because she's been praying for three hours and she's shoeless. And I'm telling her, Hey, I don't know what will you wear my shoes and all this stuff. And then this boy comes up to me, who's like 12 years old and says, Hey, I heard God's voice for the first time to tell uh, me to give Heidi Baker, my brand new shoes. And I'm like, oh, maybe this boy heard our conversation. And I'm like, no, we don't need your new shoes. Like, and then his mom comes up to me and says, hey, listen, like whispers in my ear. We we live in a trailer park. We we've been poor our whole lives. This is the first brand new pair of shoes he's ever owned. And he heard the voice of God tonight to give away his shoes. And it was like she was telling me, but it was like, like, I was like, oh wow, God, thank you for the reinforcement. Like this boy needs to give his shoes to Heidi. So so, the, you know, Heidi comes out of the bathroom. I'm like, hey, Heidi, this boy has a gift for you. And so she's like, oh, no, I don't know. And I whisper in her ear, like what the mom said. And she's, she gets on her knees and she goes, because you gave one of my sons in Mozambique a new pair of shoes, I want to give you something. And she pulls out of her purse, 100, 200, you know, and she gives it to the boy and the boy just starts weeping. And to watch 
that poverty spirit just get broken where that boy is not given any shoes to receive money. He's just obeying God. He's in this moment with God, the brand new shoes he's ever had in his life. And he's like, all right, God, I'm gonna give you my shoes. And then he gets 200 bucks and he, but it's not even about the money. It's about to watch that spirit of poverty and that mindset of like, no, I can't give her my new shoes. Like, like, no, I'm going to, I'm, I'm learning to obey the voice of God and how beautiful that was. But yeah, that's one of many moments, you know, where you have people stealing her shoes. I mean, there's been so many people that have done some crazy stuff. There's been, yeah, anyways, but, but it's pretty epic to be around someone that loves so well. And, um, but yeah, there's a lot of Heidi stories, especially in Mozambique. Uh, but yeah, we've seen, we've seen Christmas presents multiply. We were with working with like Harvard students in their divinity school and they were pretty like numbers and thorough. And so they went through all the Christmas presents and then Heidi would ask the kids, well, what do you want? And like, they'd be like, no, 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 Heidi, you got to tell them, present them five options. We've got five options. That's all they get to choose. She kept on going, well, what do you want? And then she'd be like, there's a doll. And they'd be like, there is no doll. We look through the present and they, she'd be like, look at the bag. And she'd look at the flag and there'd be, there'd be a doll for the girl. Like we watch Christmas presents multiply. So yeah, you, you kind of get wrecked when you just see him like, I mean, just, yeah, it's a special, special to watch the love of God transform a nation and transform people that were in a garbage dump at six years old without parents trying to kill people and trying to kill Heidi. And now they're 36. They have a wife and kids and they're pastoring over 50 other pastors. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And they've got like 10 kids that they've adopted themselves. So yeah, it's a, it's pretty special to be a part of, of running around with that crew. But uh, but yeah, there was, you know, and I think the big deal is just to hit this really quick is there is a healthy desire to have spiritual fathers and mothers and your relationships should be multidimensional. It shouldn't be, yeah. you know, me and Heidi have spoken at many conferences together, but like there was a season there where Jill Austin, Sean Bowles and Heidi Baker and I would meet twice a year at Disneyland. We did this years 2007 to 2012 or 13. Well, Jill passed on in 2010. But anyways, my point being that you should have fun with spiritual fathers and mothers. You should have like many dimensions of, of connection with spiritual fathers and mothers. And uh, and you're not restricted or limited just to one or two. You could have many. Yeah. So, you know, Heidi's always been that for me. She, you know, she is so crazy busy, but we could talk about every two to three weeks. And so she's so accessible, which she's going to be with so many, but it's pretty special. So yeah, Heidi's a legit like spiritual mom and, you know, has really cut Julie and I pretty deep. I, I, I'm so part of the, I'm probably most moved by that story is when there was moments of crisis, they said, let's just praise Jesus. When you talk about the story of the car, you, you said it differently. You said, take a drink with Jesus. I think that's what you said. And then when the, when the team of possessed guy went to attack, no, he just needs a hug. And I just, it just, it just melted my heart to maybe like, just stop right now and worship Jesus. Um, I actually have a quick Heidi Baker story. That's kind of cool too, is she came to our church once and she was telling all these stories about, she had finally broken through about uh, deaf ears. Oh, wow. And yeah. So we had a boy in our church that couldn't, I, could, I could hear some with hearing aids. And so she did an altar call and everyone's, you know, on the floor, go crying and weeping. And she's just touching people. And I leave the church and I go get, I go get this boy. He's in, he's in another building. He's in children's church. I'm like, I have faith. This kid's going to get it today. Grab the kid. I carry him into the service. And I, and the, and the, the church sees me doing this because they all know who this boy is. And I walk him to the front. When I get to the front, I walks right by. And the ushers go, Heidi, we got to go. We got to catch a plane. And she leaves. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, I just did this to this kid, you know, got his hopes up. And, and I was, I was, my heart was broken and she leaves. And then um, I don't know if it was that night or maybe a couple nights later, I have this dream that I prayed for this kid and he received his hearing. So I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you bring this opportunity, I will act in faith. So the next, I think it was the next Sunday I was up there standing up, you know, prayer line stuff, getting ready to pray for people and the music's still going. And this mother and this boy comes up and I said, I'm going for it. 
And I and I turned the boy around, faced him in the opposite direction, took his, asked him to take the hearing aids out, prayed for him. And I said, if you can hear me right now, raise your right arm. And he goes, he raises his yeah. right arm. I said, if you can hear your left, and he raises his left arm. And his mom was like, and I said, could he do that before? She goes, no way. And that was my, those were my, that's my Heidi Baker story. That and, is accurate. Yeah. That, and, and, and that's, that's how you touch people tag your it. So speaking of that, I want to ask you this. So I'll, can you talk about the treasure hunt? Because what my wife and I led street ministry for four years and we did the treasure hunt exclusively. And I didn't even know this when I met you recently, I didn't even put two and two together. I know your dad wrote the book, but I'm assuming you played a role. And I think you were the guy that, aren't you the guy that yelled, uh, did the intercom at Walmart or something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 The grocery store. That yes. was in February of 2005, just, just married. And, uh, but, um, my dad and I, yeah, my dad developed Treasure Hunt. I helped him kind of develop it, but also to launch it. And me and him would do these things called Firestorm Weekends, where we would take 10 or 15 students. And on Saturday, we would equip the whole church on how to do Treasure Hunt. So then I would lead a team and students would lead a team. My dad would lead a team. And then we just share testimonies that night. And it was amazing because, you know, my dad has done such a great, great job of that. Uh, you know, Stemming from the Vineyard days, he was on the evangelism board uh, for the Vineyard in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, but he also ran with Lonnie Frisbee and, and then he was really inspired in the school ministry in 2002. It was just so crazy that my dad had his master's in theology, 20 years of pastoral experience. And he went to school ministry. My mom, dad, and myself did first year in 2002 at Bethel, which is so wild that we were in first year together. But, uh, but we were, we were really, really impacted by William Branham. So William Branham moved in crazy words of knowledge and Branham and Jacko and Oral Roberts and all these guys, they, it was 48 to 53 where they had all these crazy healing, but Branham was one of the spear, you know, forerunners of that whole movement. And he got crazy words of knowledge. And I think my dad was just looking like from John Wimber's influence of like, how do we empower and activate the church to step into evangelism and the gifts of the spirit and this whole place of partnering with the Holy Spirit and also breaking off the stuff of, I can't do this. This is scary. This is intimidating. How do I approach people? So my dad and I coming up with that, that was a pretty epic deal of where you had a lot of, uh, you know, people go into default mode. Oh, I could write it down. Okay. Now I get to approach somebody with a lot more boldness be like, look what I wrote. Yep. And just the, what that spoke to the individual that was receiving of we're on a treasure hunt and you're the treasure. Like yeah. people are not going to Ralph's or a grocery store. I mean, you know, with Piggly Wiggly in North Carolina, you know, like they're going there to go get some steak, go get some chips, go, you know, they're not thinking they're going to get a prophetic word or like a, a word of knowledge about you're having a hard time in your marriage or can I pray yeah. for you for more joy yeah. or, you know, and it's just like people would leave so encouraged and we would see that with evangelism uh, that we really shaped Adam. So yeah, treasure hunting was amazing and just empowering the church to get out of the four walls and to be a light in their community. And so, you know, I, I mean, just, I remember how big treasure hunt's been around the world where I went to Israel in 2009 and someone gave me a prophetic word at the Wailing Wall. And I'm like, wait, what are you doing right now? They're like, oh, we're on a treasure hunt. And I'm like, where are you from? I'm, I'm from Indiana. And I'm like, oh my gosh, at the Wailing Wall, I am the treasure where my dad wrote the book, The Ultimate Treasure Hunt. Like, wow, this is pretty awesome to be in Israel and getting a prophetic word that someone was doing a treasure hunt and they got me. They got my article of clothing before they approached me and the whole deal. So yeah, it is pretty awesome to, to see the church come alive with evangelism. And I feel like the Lord wants to release some new wineskins to awaken the church as well, to do some new wineskins of evangelism. And uh, it's been exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm honored that I'm talking to you right now because uh, I remember hearing your testimonies, but I didn't know it was you until just almost now. And so this is why I'm going to have you. I'd love to have you pray now because you, you you told these testimonies and you prayed. And here I was some guy in North Carolina and then it lit a fire for us for four years. And you're right. I do believe there's a read because we're actually going back into the streets. We already started, 
And we're, we're just keeping the treasure hunt method because it does. It unlocks the hearts. It softens the hearts to people and it makes a real difference. So Chad, please pray. And I, I think that, you know, I, I'd love for you to pray for the hard to receivers because once people get touched, there's no going back. And you carry this anointing, and um, I, I just respect that so much. So, or however, however else you want to pray to close this. Yes, up. no, definitely. Well, Lord, right now we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the one that softens our hearts, and we we love because we were first loved by you, Lord. That 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 we pray that um, you would teach us how to create opportunities to let your love come and crash in and that we would respond with a yes, that we would respond with the decision of letting go, that that we would begin to take a journey. And we speak to anyone that's dealing with dis- disillusionment, anger towards God, offense from God, that ability to lay it down, that ability to ask Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for my unbelief? I give you my unbelief. I give you my disillusionment. I give you my hurt, that you would begin to release the peace that surpasses understanding. That, that you would take us into worship services of surrender and trust, but Lord, that you would crash in, that you'd begin uh, to, to soften our hearts and that we would feel our hearts come alive, that uh, we pray for abundant life. We, we pray, Lord, for friendship with you, that you would take us on a journey, an adventure where we say yes to you, where we discover more of who you are. We pray for Ephesians 3, how deep, how wide, how long is your love, and that we just speak that there's more to encounter with Jesus, that Ephesians is all about encountering Jesus, you know, that, that there'd be a spirit of wisdom and revelations in Ephesians 1, in, in the revelation of Jesus, that the fivefold ministers being established, the bullseyes that come into the full mature revelation of Jesus. So Lord, I just pray for an anointing to encounter Jesus, that, that I just prophesy that there's moments with Jesus you've yet had that bring a deeper connection and capacity. You know, I remember uh, we got pregnant with our first baby after 10 years of marriage, Brielle, and everyone was telling me about my daughter and the father's love and, you know, that that, that my capacity to love is going to grow. But no one told me about my relationship with Julia, that when she birthed Brielle, something actually felt in my heart be enlarged in my capacity, that it was an experience that I had not had in 10 years of marriage. Of bringing a child into the world that we shared an experience that actually enlarged my capacity to love my wife. And I'm telling you, some of you have known God for 10 years. Some of you have known God for 15 years and it's become maybe stale. It's become like, oh, I've done that before. But I'm telling you, Isaiah 42, behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. I pray for new moments, memorial stones, connections with God that soften your heart, that that you'd begin to grow in your capacity to love them because of him loving you. So Lord, we pray for your love to transform. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Ted. That is great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you in a few weeks, I think, in Charlotte, right? Yep. I'll see you in Charlotte at the end of February. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. See you, buddy.